Welcome to Today on Art Loud, the podcast of Jewish Renaissance. I'm Judy Herman. Now, today I'm in the home of Ziggy and Jeanette Shipper. And it's the most beautiful home in Bushy. I mean, I, I'm sitting in this gorgeous open plan kitchen, surrounded by 90th birthday cars. And Ziggy, thank you so much for letting me come and see you today to talk about your long life and all the things that have happened to you and the things that you've made happen. Well, you see, for me, it means more even than maybe to you, than to you, because I want people to know. And now, I still go all over Britain now, but how long I'll be able to do it, I don't know. At being 90 years old, it's a bit difficult. Mm -hmm. But I still do. But now, thank God that my that third generation of my family Four of them out of six already are involved in the Holocaust because how many more years or days or weeks I've got? Well, that's one way of looking at it, but looking at you, you look like you've got a good few years left. Yeah, but <laughs> uh, look, a lot of people say to me, oh, you look good, you know, you look <laughs> you so do. fit. It's not there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't walk like I did. I certainly can't run, you know. I don't sleep like mm-hmm. I did, you know. I have pain every day somewhere else, mm-hmm. you know. That's the age, you know. I There's nobody to blame. <laughs> but all my life, you know, I'm now 90, like I told you. All my life I was always lucky. You know, I survived the Holocaust, but I also survived a heart attack that I had, you know, and, and I was already halfway up there. But my, halfway where I had there, it, you mean? I mean, to heaven. nearer to heaven. Yes. And, you know, but uh, where I have had it, you wouldn't believe it. I had it in a hospital. Mm-hmm. And uh, I survived again. So that is your story, There's a lot of things, actually, and it's not all just luck. I mean, you are obviously very resourceful. You've been brave in your life. You've taken good decisions in your life. Um, But yes, obviously, I know, I understand that it's luck. But you can look back and you can talk to me as the next generation along about what you've been through, but... I am so interested in the way you are doing this work to make sure that this story is handed on, how you love to be surrounded by young people. And that's why I'm always, you know, I'm so surrounded by young people Mm. that maybe that makes me young, you know. That would be it. All the two... (laughs) I, I go to the schools, you know, and I enjoy doing it. This is this thing. I feel that I give something, especially what's happening in the world today, you know, killing and killing and killing. And I said, for no reason at all. Nobody's going to... Look, like I say to to students, nobody wins the war. Everybody, unfortunately, loses. Britain, you know, France, United States, and so on, they won the war, the Second World War. But how many people have they lost? And I'm not even talking about the army people. Mm. When London was bombed, when in Germany, Hamburg and Berlin was bombed, you know, and everywhere, you know, 
So it wasn't just that, that Germany lost or we lost. Um, Ziggy, can we go back to the difficult times? I know it's a story you've told so many times, but obviously our listeners want to hear the story of how the war impacted on you and the Holocaust. And I want to hear about your grandmother. I, I know that you went through a lot of the war with her. I don't right. know her name, so can we start? But I know there's a funny place to start, but could you please just name your grandmother? I want to hear her name. My grandmother, my grandmother was like my mother, but her name was Esther. My parents were divorced and I was brought up by my grandparents who were very Orthodox Jewish people. And my grandmother was like my mother, right up to the week, up when the war started, when we went to the ghetto. That who, that's, I still lived with my grandmother and grandfather, but unfortunately, I, my grandfather, when we went into the ghetto, he, he only lived a few weeks and he died. And I was with my grandmother for the whole time in the ghetto. We arrived. Then, when it was finished, the ghetto, we arrived to Auschwitz-Birkenau. She was separated from, because the women and the men and the children as well were separated. So this was the last time I saw my grandmother. Occasionally, I used to see through the wires, you know, because they took us, when I came to Auschwitz-Birkenau as a group, we were we wouldn't even go through a selection because we were one of the few groups that came to Auschwitz-Birkenau on a list because we worked in a metal factory and they said they're taking us to a metal factory. I see, so they reckoned you already had the skills that they wanted for the... Yeah, that, well, yeah. look, I started working when I was ten and a half years old, so I didn't know that much. But I was working there for four, over four years. And then, like I said, we went to Auschwitz-Birkenau. And after six weeks being there, luckily, because it was the summer when we arrived in August, but when we arrived in, Stol in Stutthof, this was one of the worst things for me, because it wasn't an extermination camp, but the weather and we were not allowed to be in our barracks. We got up in the morning, we got a little piece of bread and black coffee. I didn't know what black coffee was anyway. But they, the only way to keep warm is a few a hundred or two hundred, I don't know how many of people. We made a... a we looked... Eh, stood together, you know, we put my arms, I put our arms around each other, you know, and we stayed there, and then after a while we came out of it so that the other people could do it from the back to the front. So is this know. outdoors you're having? Yes, yes. everything was yeah. outdoors. Mm. We were never allowed in any camp that I've been to be inside during the day. I don't know why, and we couldn't understand it. Why didn't they give us more food? Why didn't they give us... Let us stay inside in the weather. Give us better clothing. You know, because we're working for the German war effort. Yes, so you would think that... You would, you'd assure. Mm, mm, yes. 
actually, you've actually answered a question I've asked myself often. I felt really guilty when I feel cold. I wondered how on earth you kept warm at all. Because when I think of us all huddled up in our winter clothes, and I know I, what the weather must have been like, and I know you hadn't nothing to eat. Especially in Poland, you know. Yes. Well, I don't know up till today. I still don't know, you know, how I survived this weather. This was the worst, especially in, in Stutthof in my camp, in the camp that I was in. This was the worst one for me because of that. Mm. The others were just as bad, but I felt it, you know, because of the weather. I was freezing. I used to tell my friends, because we were always a group of half a dozen or so, I said, if we stay here for a long time, I'll, I'll be dead. I will not survive that. So what, presumably, in the summer, it was just as bad if it was too hot? Well, too hot. The clothes we had, mm. is they were not mm. that bad, you know. But we didn't, you know, in the ghetto, we, we, it was a different thing, you know, because we had our own place to live. It was one bedroom just one bedroom and that's it. There was no toilet, there was no running water, nothing. You know, in the ghetto, a lot of, you know, people said, how were the German guards? Because they were outside, mm -hmm. they were not inside in the ghetto. In in Woods, where we were, everything was done by Jewish people. Gosh. You see everything. There was no, the Germans, there was a place where they came, mm the German to do things, but they were never coming to us. Yeah. We never were with them. That's interesting that they were keeping away f from you, so they were not confronting what they were doing at all, then, were they? Interesting. The people, mm. that the army, um, you're talking about the, the German Germans, soldiers, yes. you know, most of them in the ghetto, you know, they weren't even SS, they weren't even Nazis. Mm. But you can understand, you know, the older you get, you realise that. If they did, didn't go into the army, they would have been killed in yes, Germany. Yes, yes, yes. You, you know, you're very you see, wise. They yeah. had to... You can find, you know, when I went, I found out how many were not Nazis. Mm. But they couldn't do anything. No, you're called but, up, you're called up. Otherwise, yes. you're shot as a traitor. Listen, he, mm. he, in Britain, it would be the same. Yeah, they yeah. wouldn't kill him, but they put him in prison. Yes, but you, you in know. Britain, you could be a conscientious objector, yeah. but I bet you couldn't be one in Germany. Never mind no, that you no. were. Actually, we should just mention your father left you, didn't he? Because he thought you'd be all right he as ran a away, child. Yes. Yes. I, was, I was nine years old mm. when he ran away, just before the war started. Mm. You know, he left, that's why he left, he said. And I re and I knew, he said to me, he's going, I said, I said, where are you going? He said, I'll try to get into Russia. And I knew eventually that he did manage to get to Russia. But in 1941 or 1942, I don't remember, he came back to Poland and I couldn't understand. But of course, eventually I did because... That's when the war started between Germany and Russia. So maybe that's why he came back. But he couldn't get into the Watch ghetto. So he managed to get into the Warsaw ghetto. And that was the last thing I heard from him. I never, never, up till now, you know, I was in Washington in a museum because I've got old papers. 
I couldn't find him there. I had in Yad Vashem in Jerusalem. I had here in Britain to find in museums where they had to be, like he never existed. So either he died in Warsaw Ghetto or they took him to another camp. You know, people think Auschwitz-Birkenau is one of the big camps. We know that. But there were so many other camps. It's just unbelievable. And those other camps were never more existing, more than a year or ten months. Because then they completely finished it. And in some of them, you know, 40,000 people died, 20,000 people died. I've grown up hearing these stories, but it, you still, you can't get your head around it. And probably you shouldn't, because, you know, we have to carry that forward. Your grandchildren, your, these, your, you've been telling me you've got a new, new great-grandson who's just had his bris, but he will learn the story, he will carry it on. Well, because his parents already, his father speaks, my grandson, Elliot, Stern, you know, he's already been in Auschwitz, not just with, with me, as he's been a few times. When he was 16 years old, he came with me to Auschwitz for the Holocaust uh, Memorial Day. And from then on, he was quite a few times with me. But now he's already been twice, I think, to Auschwitz with a group. He's got a little committee connected with HET, Holocaust Education Trust, you know, and he does already a lot for it. And uh, my granddaughter went as well a few times, and now she's involved in March of the Living, which they're going this year, I think in March, for six days all over Poland to see where the camps were and so on. And uh, one grandson writes quite a lot, and he spoke in JW3 two days ago, you know, and he writes a lot about it because that's what he do, that's his living, writing and, uh, you know, going to schools, you know, and so on. And uh, so I'm so happy about it that I see my, you see, people don't realize that the third generation is doing more than the second for a simple reason, when we came to England between 1945 and 1947, we are called the boys. And we, we never talked about it with people. We talked about it among, amongst ourselves, but never, not even with the family that we lived with. But my friends were all Holocaust survivors, so my children soon learned, mm. you know. And uh, they're involved to a certain extent. When my daughters go, wherever I go, a long distance, you know, they one of the daughters comes with me, you know, and one stays at home to look after my wife, you know. So, and, you know, I cannot tell you what a wonderful, wonderful life I had. Mm-hmm. Listen, after I came with nothing, and then I've got a mother, I've got had a mother. Unfortunately, she didn't live that long. But I didn't even know my mother. Yes, you can explain that, because, um, I mean, I know we're, sort of, we're going backwards and forwards, but I, yeah. hope, people, I hope listeners can bear with us, that yeah, you were mind. after liberation. I've, I've seen photographs of you looking 
quite healthy, but several months long, because you were in hospital for a long time after several months, weren't you, first? And I was, you see, in... I, after the camp, you know, I was ill three, three months, and eventually I got better, and uh, we stayed in a camp when the nurse said, you, you'll be able to go to a camp. I said, I'm not going to any camps, you know. Anyway, but it wasn't a camp. It was a, it was a, it was a camp to a certain extent. But we were look, looking after, we were looked after by the British, and American army people. And from there we went to another place and another place, and eventually we were about forty young people, with a few grown-ups. And one day we heard that Britain and Sweden is allowing a thousand mm. children to come to England and Sweden. So they came around and asked, where do you want to go? Do you want to go to Sweden? I said, no. Do you want to go to England? I said, no. <laughs> I said, so they said, where do you want to go? They thought, maybe I want to go to Poland. You know, I said, no. I want to go to Palestine. But for there, you'll have to wait for quite a while. So I said, I don't mind waiting. And we waited for about 10 months or so, and then we had we'd be able to go. Unfortunately, I got ill again. It was my own fault, by the way. I hurt myself, and I had to have an operation, and it took two weeks, the operation. Today, it would have taken overnight, mm. you know. Yeah. <laughs> but in them days, you know, in 1945, you know, it was a different thing. Anyway, by, oh, it was beginning of 1946. And then when I was, some boys came, two boys came to pick me up from the hospital, and they gave me a letter from London, England. I couldn't believe who's writing to me from London, England. I opened the letter, and it's written by a woman, and she says she used to live in, she used to live in Poland, in the city, that the same my son lived during the war. But I found his name on a Red Cross list. But the only thing is, his, the age was different. But when I read on, she says, I remember when I was about two and a half years old, or two years old, I burned myself on the left wrist. Maybe there's still a sign there. So I looked at my left wrist. You can see it very... Oh, it's very faint. Mm. But maybe it was more prominent then. But oh, you, listen, you... I'm talking about 70-odd mm. years. Of course. <laughs> so, this, so wait a minute. So it's your mother remembering you being yeah, burned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This lady was your mother. I, yeah, and when I said it, so that I said to my friends, do you know, for so many years, 12 or 13 years, I thought my mother was dead when I was growing up. But she's alive, and she said that if I'm her son, she wants me to come to live with him. And I still refused. I said, I don't know the woman. I said, you two and the others are my family. She's a stranger to me. When I went back, where we stayed. It was already in Hamburg. We had a beautiful two places there to stay in. It was offered by 
some bank people, the bank people, Jewish ones, that they managed to run away to Switzerland and to England. Anyway, so uh, when I went back, the British, American, and also the Jewish Brigade were there looking after them. And when they heard about it, they went mad with me. They said, you look around you. Some of you friends, they haven't, they didn't have, they can't go anywhere. They've got to go to England or Sweden. And they also, you've got to remember, had brothers, sisters. You never had brothers and sisters. And they've got nothing at the moment. Maybe they'll find somebody. We don't know. Anyway, they persuaded me and took my mother 10 months. Eventually I came to, not to London, out of London we came to, to Hull. And from there, a man met me. It turned out he was my mother's husband. She remarried. So he took me. He says, get your luggage. We go on the train. I said, what luggage? I had a little, little bag. Anyway, we went, came to London. We met, I met my mother, we cuddled, we cried, we, we anyway, all I can tell you, the first six months were hell for me. They oh. didn't know what to do for me. How old we, were you? I was 16, not 16 yet, oh, when I arrived, right. November 19. Yes, but a, a, a teenager who'd had, yeah. had to grow up. Yeah, you know, I, I was, no, yeah, I was already 19, Forty-five. I was forty-six. Anyway, so uh, you know, the first two weeks I already had two suits. They were whatever I wanted, they did for me. But I still missed my family, and my family were the people that I, the boys that were with me together. Because if not them, I wouldn't be alive. It's interesting. You, I just very quickly ask you. You say boys, but there were no, there were no girls in this. No, because the boys lived separate, and the girls and the women, and the girls lived. We didn't yeah. together. When we came, when the boys came to England, it from uh, from Germany. Actually, it was from Czechoslovakia they came because that's where they were in, finished the camps in. Oh right, but yeah. you weren't. In, were you in Czechoslovakia? No, 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 no. 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 You mean no. some some boys went one way and some the other way? No, mm. most of them, you know, were in in the ones that came. The first lot, three hundred twenty odd, mm. came first to England, you know, and uh, everything was for them. It was all right, but we waited, waited, waited. Like I told you, eventually I came to England, and my life completely changed. Mm. After six months, the first six months were terrible for me because I missed my friends. My fa mm. They were my family. They were like brothers. Mm. Anyway, one day I was walking in the street and one of the boys, and I met one of the boys, and he said, you know, no, most of the boys are now in England. You see, because the first group came from Windermere. I'm oh, yes, I've heard about that, yes. Oh, that's yes. Very famous that they went and into Windermere. Yeah. If you must watch, I think, tonight... Yes, tomorrow I think tonight tomorrow. tomorrow. ...television, yes. tomorrow night. So one of the chaps that I met, he said to me, 
you know, now the, the young people that were in Berk, uh, in in the camps that are now, they're back in London and they are in Belzeich Park. They've, they've got a, a place there and opposite there is a church and the church allows them to come once a week on Saturday night or Sunday night, I'm not quite sure, to have a, whatever they want they can do there, you know. So they always had music and dancing and, you know, she, they said, why don't you go there once? I said, all right. So one Sunday or Saturday, I went there, knocked on the door, they opened those doors, and the first thing I uttered is written in a book by Sir Martin Gilbert. You know, at last, at last, you know, I found my family. How moving, how wonderful. And it, you know, because they and those that are still alive, not all, there's very few of us, especially in London, there's a few, there isn't 20, including others. The people that we were together called the boys, there were about 700 and something altogether, not even a thousand. But with those like me that came after, so maybe there, were, there was about a thousand. But, you know, some went abroad, some went to America, some went to Israel, some went all over the place. They went, some cousins or uncles found them, and so on. But even today, my family is also two of my close friends. We speak to each other every week at least mm. twice or three times. And, you know, and they, unfortunately, ha they had brothers and sisters, but none of them survived. They lived in London. Maybe they had some family somewhere, but they couldn't find anybody. Were you an only child? I was the only child. You know, at the time, I was quite happy about it, that I don't have a younger child, and seeing him being killed like in Auschwitz-Birkenau, in the extermination. You know, I, with Dr. Mengele. <laughs> and unfortunately, the only thing that I'm upset about, that they didn't find Dr. Mengele. We know he lived somewhere in Argentina or Brazil or something like that. But I cannot tell you what a wonderful life I had in England all my life. That's a lot of that is because you found this family. Yes, I found, of course, we started living, you know. Eventually, you know, we started working, we got married. And, you know, when we got married, you already started having, well, I worked with my father-in-law for a while, then on myself. I had a print place where we used to do printing. I was going to ask you what your business was. But... All my life, most of the time that I lived, after about oh, five, six years, I already started working on my own. Or maybe it was a bit longer, I don't remember. But, you know, we had a couple of shops as well with stationery. Then slowly I gave one up because when I started speaking, oh, the speaking. in schools, you know, I... I wasn't there all the time. Well, so how old were you when you started speaking about it then? Uh, I was 
You won't believe it, but I was already over 50. You were over 50? I used to speak, you know, to one in a blue moon, you know, like one, and somebody wanted to ask me, would you come to speak to me? But you see, schools didn't ask anybody to come. I once asked a teacher, I met a teacher, and I said to him, why the hell don't you teach the Second World War and the Holocaust? Well, they, you know, the answer they gave me, oh, well, it wasn't history. <laughs> I said, what, do you want them to wait for a hundred years? I said, no, you've got to. And then, not that long ago as people think, but they start the the government decided that the schools have got it was a Labour Party at the time, Tony Blair, you know, and Gordon Brown as well, you know, he was the Chancellor but and also others. And I at that the school started and one day by accident I met Het and I start and they said you know what we are, you know. I went to that building, I happened to be there. Holocaust Trust. I'm just going to say Holocaust Education Trust. Trust. Yes. I started speaking every week or every two weeks mm. once because they still, they still do it and I still do that myself. They, they take young children, about 200, mm. over year 10, mm. and they you know, which they are already 15, 16. They want 16 and up. So I, uh, they said, will you do it? Not, we did not go. The people, the survivors, did speak to those children before, uh, before they go. Then you are finished with them. Then they go for a day to Auschwitz-Birkenau, then they come back and they got to write and talk about what did they think about it. If they want to, they can come the first time. If they come the first time, they can also become student ambassadors. Oh. And what it is, they go around to their own schools, even when they already finished with the school and they go to university, mm. they still go and talk about it about Auschwitz-Birkenau. And uh, so it got more and more, and then because later they started talking to schools, and when they started talking to schools, that's when I started really speaking. You know, I started one in a month, then one in two weeks, then one per week, you know, then two, three, three. And, you know, maybe because of the young children, I felt, you know, I felt young myself. Well, I was mixing with young people, not with old people, <laughs> like I was. It's really coming you know? over that, that you are, and yes, you're ever, ever eternally, and got you know, eternal and youth. I, yeah, and I also decided, you know, I, I, and I said, my, when I finished speaking, even right up today, I said, whatever you do, do not hate. Hate is the worst thing that can happen, and everybody knows me about that, that I don't hate, you know. Hate, I said, will ruin your life. Eventually you'll hate yourself, and you'll have no life. So don't hate. 
Why should you hate? Because he is a black man. What's the difference? Whether he is he, a different religion, different anything. You know, it does not make any difference whether you're a Jew or whether you're a Christian or whether you're Muslims. We are all the same. We are human beings. Take the, one of each and let them cut themselves and you see it's the same blood. It's no difference what they look. <laughs> I and I love that people should go back laughing, mm. you know, because for a simple reason, I don't want that child to go back, you know, home after I have been there and their parents will see them crying. Mm. Why are you crying? Oh, I've had... Why did you go? Why do they do it? Mm. You see, no, and those children, not everyone, but quite a lot of them, now there are tens of thousands already, young students, not Jewish, that go to schools themselves and to their own school where they were. It's wonderful that this has been such a story of hope and love and, as you say, laughter. How, how do you feel about the the people who worked in the camps, the people who followed the Nazi um, well, diktats, the, the Nazis themselves, how do you feel about you, them now? You, you know, yeah, every time I'm asked that, but they start, do you hate the German people? No, I didn't ask no, you that. No, no, but, you know, but I come to it. Mm. But people, students do that. So that I've got a, a thing to speak. So I speak to them and I say, look, I don't hate the German people today. Why should I hate them? Maybe your great-grandfather also committed crimes. What would you do? Would you hate them? Now, hate your people, hate your father, hate you, your grandfather, or because what your great-grandfather did? No, I don't hate the German people. So they say, so you forgive them. Ah, I said, hold on. The people that did it, I do not forgive for a simple reason. I don't think that I've got the right to forgive. God can forgive. The people that are dead can forgive. I cannot forgive them. And that's how I feel. But to tell, them, to tell you the truth, I said, I've been to Germany a few times with companies there and some groups, German groups, in Hamburg especially. And I said, and I always say that to them, I've never been, I've been so many times in Germany. Nobody came, an old man that knew who I am, to me and said to me, could you forgive me for what I did? But I've never had anybody to say that, you know. Have you been back to Poland? I have been to Poland because of uh, Auschwitz-Birkenau. Yes. I've been many, many times in Poland. The first time I went to Poland with my two daughters, I went even to Warsaw, then I went to Łódź where I lived. Mm. I even went to the to the apartment that we had, and I was so happy about it because when I, when the chap that took us, you know, in a car for a whole week, I knocked on the door and he says, uh, this man is used to live here as a child. Is it all right? And it was a young couple that said, yes, please mm. come in. And I was so happy about it because 
my daughters were not quite sure whether I was lying or forgetting about having my own bedroom when I was young with my grandparents, you know, and the flat was even nicer than than it was when I lived there. So you were with your your daughters and they thought, oh, oh, they insisted Mm. on going. I'm going to Auschwitz-Birkenau, and I said, and I didn't want them to go in Auschwitz-Birkenau. I didn't want them to see that, but this was one of the better things I did in my life. Mm. And, you know, and, uh, yeah, from there, you know, we went to Auschwitz with my two daughters, and we went to the camps. They showed them everything. And the worst thing for me is every time I go to Auschwitz-Birkenau, when I go to the Auschwitz, you see, because it's two different camps, but mm-hmm. right one next to the other. And one is an, was an extermination camp, and one was only for the uh, uh, Russian and Polish, uh, what's the name, people that they caught, you know, they mm-hmm. committed crimes, you know, they put them there. Even their own people, Germans, they put them there. But no Jewish people were there. But when we were there the first time with my two daughters, it was the first time for them, not for me. And uh, we went all the places, and I, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't stop crying, you know, but it just was not a lot. But then we went to two rooms, and the first room was under glass, all you saw is people's hair, mm. and I didn't even know why they took those hair. Apparently they could do things about it. And the next room was the worst for me. It was also under glass, and all you saw there was children's little shoes, little toothbrushes, little uh, things to play with, whatever they were, you know. Even a little suitcase with a name. And I hugged my two daughters, Mm -hmm. and the three of us cried. And I said to them, you know, under different situations, this could have been yours. Mm -hmm. You know, I just don't know how... Nobody knows how lucky we are, the survivors. When did you last see your grandmother? My grandmother I saw last time when we were in Stutthof, through the wires. Mm -hmm. And then I went, uh, one day two officers, German officers, came to the camp and they wanted 20 boys to go to work. And I, they said 17-year-olds, so I did nothing. When they said 16, I stood on my toes, lifted my hand, yes. So they told us that they'll pick us up soon. So the grown-ups said they couldn't understand, and they said, why did you volunteer? They're going to kill you. They're going to take you out and kill you. I said, so be it. I'm going to die here anyway if I stay. Anyway, after a few days, they took us, and they took us to a different camp, Stolp in Pomerania. There I worked on the railway line. Railway line, you can always steal some. And unfortunately, one day, some boys, not that came with us at Wendell Camp, it was a very small, only Jewish camp, 1,500 people, you know. And uh, <coughs> they, some of the boys, 
two, five or six boys stole some tobacco that was going for... We ne- were never interested in thinking. I don't know where they found it even, but it was going for the German army fighting the Russian. Eventually they put them in a, in a room for, for a whole week. They said, no food, no drink. And when it was finished, they took him. When we arrived and where they were, and, you know, there was, we knew exactly what's going to happen. They hung him for, 